number eight, page eleven, second para, second and third paragraph. Nineveh, you remember, repented and proclaimed a fast. Were aware that Nineveh had repented. And that's something interesting. Even the cattle were aware. <laughs> what do you think happened to the people to make the cattle aware? They must have had a different look in their face and a different tone in their voice. Huh? Mm-hmm. Even the cattle were aware that Nineveh had repented, but Jonah did not know it. <laughs> Isn't that something? Mm-hmm. God had sent Jonah. Jonah was his messenger. And Jonah didn't know it, but the cattle knew it. That's terrible. Jonah must have been proud and more concerned with bringing his prophecy to pass than he was with the salvation of the city. For he mourned over the withering of the gourd, which is just a plant, rather than rejoicing over the repentance of Nineveh. This should be a great object lesson to us in carrying our message of Elijah we should not be anxious for the execution of Ezekiel 9 in the church, but rather we should be anxious for the souls of the people. Likewise, in bearing our message of Jonah, we should not be anxious for a serious fall, but rather for her repentance and salvation. The message we have from the scriptures concerning Nineveh says that Nineveh is to be overthrown. In fact, all the prophets who speak of Nineveh or Assyria say that she is to be overthrown. Yet the type and other scriptures say she is to be saved. She has to be overthrown to be saved. But she has to have the message before she's overthrown. And it says that the only message we have is in tract number 14. That's the message. So this means that we have to get the message of Elijah to the church and the message of Jonah to Assyria. Now we haven't finished with the message of Elijah to the church. But when we're going to send track 14 to the world and how we're going to do it, I don't know. I've been wondering about it for, well, ever since we published the track, The Whirlwind of the Lord. I have some uh, interesting statements to read to you, to think upon. I don't know that we can come to any, any definite conclusion from them, but with some trepidation, I uh, assume to leave them with you and you can think about them. The uh, way we left the subject last night was quite unsatisfactory. It left us with a a very incisive dichotomy, that is a split, two parts, and that's not good because there's supposed to be but one view of it. That is, this is what we had hitherto thought, one view. And bringing in a dual view, it presents some problems because that dual view of it establishes the time of the sixth trumpet at 538 AD and again at some time in the future. It can't be both under the same system of interpretation. You can see that. Now the code, volume 12, number 2, tells us that the opening or the sounding of the sixth trumpet is yet future. The track, number 5, which carries the basic 
presentation of the subject, owing to the fact that when it was opened up in the beginning, it was in this study that we have in the track. <clears throat> it places the uh, sounding of the sixth trumpet of 538 AD. Oh, as we say, we can't have our cake and eat it too. Not the same cake. Now, if you've got two cakes, you can save one and eat the other. Or eat the one and save the other, as it were. And I think that's about what we're going to have to end up with here in order to vindicate God, vindicate the word. God says, let all men be liars and God be true. That means that let all men be wrong, let God be right. Now, there's, not, <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with, with the, the word, but it's with our understanding, with our finite understanding of it and how we're going to bring about a satisfactory uh, reconciliation between our understanding and God's understanding. That's the question. The human mind can't do that. God has to open it up for us. That may take time and patience, but we can go a little ways further and then see what we get and put it together as best we can. I'm coming now to the tract, and I'm going to reread from page 79 and 80. Tract 5, number 5, this is the trumpet tract. The final warning, pages 79 and 80. This is the bottom of page 79. For the 14th verse of Revelation 9 begins the description of the sixth trumpet. And it ends with the 14th verse of Revelation 11. Now we've heard this statement repeated enough times, so we ought to remember it, that between the ninth chapter in the 14th verse and the 11th chapter in the 14th verse is the content of the trumpets, save for the seventh trumpet, which follows in the 15th verse of chapter 11. But this is dealing with the events in probationary time, which announces the second woe, sixth trumpet, is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Accordingly, each prophetic event recorded between Revelation 9.14 and 11.14 must find its fulfillment in the period of the sixth trumpet between the first and second woes. Now, if we are to bring to bear upon this statement the information contained in Code, Volume 12, Number 2, in fact, there's two statements there that tell us that the, this is page 12. This tells us that the sealing of the 144,000, those who are made invulnerable uh, to death, it says it is before the sixth seal, pardon me, before the sixth angel sounds that some will have the experience of seeking death and not finding it before. And at the top of the paragraph it says, at what time will they be made vulnerable to death? Our study today makes plain that it is during the fifth trumpet and before the sounding of the sixth trumpet. Then over here on 
page 15, it says, in just a little while, this period will begin. And then there's still one other statement on the subject. It, it says the same thing. I don't seem to have it marked, but that's sufficient. And now, I, <coughs> to, to get this into focus clearly, if these statements in Code Volume 12, Number 2, are used as a guide here, as a principle, or as precept, I should say, for understanding this in, in Track 5 about the beginning of the sixth trumpet, then we'll have to put the beginning of the sixth trumpet or the sounding of the sixth trumpet way down here in, in our time. Whereas, if we, if we stay with, with the track, then we put the time at 538 A.D. Then this, this statement will not give us any trouble. That each prophetic event recorded between Revelation 9.14 and 11.14 must find its fulfillment in the period of the sixth trumpet. Because if your sixth trumpet is backed up to 538 A.D., then you have a long time in, in which all of these events can take place. So when you come to the first specified event of the four angels that are bound in the river Euphrates, you have no problem because the sixth seal began at 538 A.D. Then when you come to uh, Revelation 10 and the angel who has the little book, you have no problem because the sixth seal was opened and uh, was sounded in 538 A.D. Sixth trumpet, I mean, was sounded in 538 A.D. But if you, if you look at this, this statement here, that each prophetic event recorded between Revelation 9.14 and 11.14 must find its fulfillment in the period of the sixth trumpet, if you look at this statement in the light of what we just read from 12 Code 2, then you're in trouble. It won't work. Because uh, these events, the two I mentioned, the four angels being bound or being loosed that were bound and the angel of Revelation 10 standing on the, the sea and the earth, it's too late. They've already taken, the events have taken place according to our understanding as Adventists and Davidians. So we have a great problem. How to harmonize the two? How are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? You've got a problem. Now you need to pray about it. That's what Brother Hara said. said. Now this is a deep study. If you have questions, be sure and ask them and get it cleared up. And I know this only way you're going to get it cleared up is that you begin to ask God some questions and you study. Otherwise, you're going to get caught flat-footed with your mouth wide open and not be able to give an answer for the faith that's in you. It's sure is going to come. There's going to be some. I'm surprised that we haven't had problem with it already, for we've had some who have uh, loaded their guns and, and fired, but they haven't fired this ammunition. Why, I don't know. The Lord's evidently kept his hand over so they couldn't see it. But it picked up a lot of other things. Well, I'm going to read you some interesting statements. I want to read first from page 114. Chapters 10, this is paragraph 1. Chapters 10 and 11 of the Revelation cover a series of events different from those of chapter 9. 
Now, this is something that uh, we read over and pay no attention to. But this may be a very significant fact, that the events of chapter 9 are different from the events of chapter chapters 10 and 11. And an interesting aspect of this fact is that the events of chapter 9 come after the events of chapters 10 and 11. You think about that. Now there's another interesting statement that goes with this that, that we need to consider. This is 2TG, number 14, volume, uh, volume 2, number 14, page 16, paragraph 4. The 11th chapter of Revelation, save for the first two verses which chronologically belong to the 10th chapter, goes still farther back in time than does the 10th chapter. What does it say about these two verses? What's the reference again? That's page 16 of volume 2, Timely Greeting, volume 2, number 14, paragraph 4, the bottom paragraph. 14? Yes. The 11th chapter, save for the first two verses, which chronologically belong to the 10th chapter. Now, what does this tell us? Let's get this in our mind. That Revelation 1 and 2 do not belong where they are. They belong at the end of the 10th chapter, which tells us that, that uh, it was to prophesy again. And how far? To whom? To many nations, kindreds, tongues, and people, not to all. Then would follow the measuring. That was their message, you see. So that's why it belongs up there. That's the message they were to proclaim again. It's found symbolically in the first verse, first and second verses, really the third, of the chapter. So now, with, with those verses up there, that can make a difference. Because the, the other statement I read tells us chapters 10 and 11 of Revelation carry a series of events different from those of chapter 9. So, however, this would not really make a vital change because it, this is dealing with chapters 10 and 11 as it is. But it puts these two verses up there in continuity with those of chapter 10. And that has to do with the angel who brings the rain and with the message that the church is to, to uh, give after the disappointment. And the message is contained in the first verse of uh, chapter 11. This is a fact that needs to be incorporated with the study of the whole subject. Now I want to read you another one. Uh, this is from uh, Timely Greetings. Number 16, 216. The fact that the mystery of God is finished when the seventh angel begins to sound, and also the fact that the shaking is here shown to take place during the sounding of the sixth angel, the truth stands out that the shaking takes place before the gospel work is finished. Right now, in the light of what we understand from the chart and and track number five, we have no problem with this statement. For this allows for the shaking to be put in uh, the time before Ezekiel 9. But if we understand this statement in the light of 
this one on the subject from uh, Symbolic Code, Volume 12, Number 2, that the six trumpets uh, sounds after the slaying, then we have trouble with the shaking. The shaking couldn't come on Laodicea then. The shaking would have to be in Babylon. You see this? You don't see this. Nobody sees this. Hmm? It has to be, otherwise it would be a contradiction there. Well, it wouldn't be more of a contradiction than the whole thing's a contradiction. It's part of the contradiction, apparent contradiction. I want you to see what's involved. Moreover, the fact that the mystery of God is finished when the seventh angel begins to sound, and also the fact that the shaking is here shown to take place during the sounding of the sixth seal. When's the shaking shown to take place? During the sounding of the sixth seal. During the sounding of the sixth seal. And then right underneath that, here's what it says. I asked the meaning of the shaking. Quoting from where? Early writings. All right, you can see now what shaking he's talking about. Right, now, again, I'll read this. Our study today makes plain. Now, this is from Code, Volume 12, Number 2, page 12. Our study today makes plain that it is during the fifth trumpet and before the sounding of the sixth trumpet that they are made invulnerable. If God is going to do this during the period of the fifth trumpet, then this sealing of the 144,000 must take place in the period of the fifth trumpet and not in the sixth. What must it take place? in the period of the fifth trumpet, not in the sixth, then that would push all this ahead until after Ezekiel 9, after the half-hour silence, in the period of the fifth trumpet and not in the sixth. It is then, before the sixth angel sounds, that some will have the experience of seeking death and not finding it. Well, you have that clear. And now this statement. The 144,000 are not sealed with the promise of the resurrection. This is page 11 of the code. They are sealed for some other purpose. They are sealed for protection from the hurting of the winds. So what's going to blow right after they, they are sealed? The winds. The winds are going to blow. And then what are the four angels that have the weapons going to do? They're going to hurt. They're going to slay. And those four angels and the four angels bound in the river Euphrates both function at the same time, and are more or less identities, perhaps, as the message indicates. It says now that they are alive at the time they are sealed. So it's not dealing with dead people. And since the message that is to seal the 144,000 is here, we believe that we are now living in the period when God is going to seal the 144,000 with a destination New Jerusalem. The reason these men could not die is that they are sealed by God. So this brings you clear to the end of the sealing. In the fifth trumpet, before the sixth trumpet begins. So there's, there's a problem. All that is in the rounds. Uh, this statement here about the shaking is a part of it. Because it puts the shaking over uh, after the sealing. And the shaking won't help any after the sealing. So... What you're, what you're going to be forced to, what you're coming to, is that 
There are evidently, as I said in the beginning, two cakes here. This is one and this is one. Uh, this, this, has, this is a, a symbolical interpretation and this other is going to turn out to be a literal interpretation. And you can see this uh, in what it says about the 42 months. That the 42 months are, uh, cannot be symbolical. Whereas all the rest in the rod puts the 42 months way back to 538 A.D. So this is a symbolical interpretation all the way along. That is, it is uh, an interpretation of time on the basis of Ezekiel 4. And this is an interpretation of time literally. This is the difference. You had your hand up a moment ago, Gene. I was thinking about the shaking. Uh, doesn't it uh, climax with Ezekiel 9? It climaxed with Ezekiel 9. Right. So, if it, if it doesn't take place until after the sixth trumpet is, uh, sounds, and the sixth trumpet doesn't sound until after Ezekiel 9, then the shaking can't do any good. It can't, it can't help shake the wicked out of the church, or, or it can't help uh, purify the church. It's impossible. What do you think about overlapping? Here on page 79, it definitely shows that they overlap. And it says, and as these truths constitute the gospel for today, it is evident that though the trumpets run in consecutive order, each beginning at a different time, they all continue in force to the end of the world, terminating the... That's good if you keep the sixth trumpet back far enough. But if you can't keep the sixth trumpet back far enough, you've got to put it after Ezekiel 9. It won't help any. It'll help a bit. They yeah? overlap forward, but not backward. That's right. You can't overlap backwards, you've got to overlap forward. See, this, the, the, here's the fifth trumpet running on. Now, if the sixth trumpet comes this way, boy, then that's all right. But that isn't the way it is. Your sixth trumpet is here. You see? But where's the overlap? Well, that's talking about when you look at it in, in, from this symbolical view. You're not dealing with it. Uh, from from here at all. It, says, it will be observed that though each of the trumpets begin at a definite time, yet one overlaps the other, and all seven extend to the second trumpet. Sure, look, this isn't that hard to see. Here's number one. All right, here's number two. You see? They're not going backwards like this. They're overlapping this way as you're coming down. See? Right on down. Now, when you get down to number six, see, here's number five. Now, it's running right on. But six, it doesn't begin to sound until it gets down here. And here's Ezekiel 9 here. See, so this can't go back this way. It's got to keep on going forward this way. This is what we're talking about. From, uh, th that is, looking at it from here, not from the book, from uh, Code, Volume 12, number two. Looking at it from the chart and from the track, then... The overlapping, the sixth trumpet can go way back in here. They're back to 7, 1798. You see, so then you've got plenty of overlap. And all this can work out very well then. But it can't the other way. So now I'm going to read you some other statements. Now this is track number 15, page 64. 64. Now you'll have to listen closely to this one. It's quoting Revelation 8, verses 1 to 6. It says, after a time, the judicial demonstration, the voice is saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the thunderings and the lightnings cease for the space of half an hour. 
very definitely indicating that the judicial proceedings of the first session of the judgment adjourn. So how far does this bring us? To the adjournment of the judgment of the dead, the first session. Following this, you keep it clear in your mind, following this, after the judgment of the dead has finished, the seven angels are given the seven trumpets. Are one of the seven angels given the seven trumpets? Following the judicial, the adjournment of the judicial session. That's right. Now, did you ever think in those terms before that the trumpets were not given to the angels? until the judgment of the dead was over. And when the trumpets begin to sound, they haven't sounded way back there two and three and four and five and 6,000 years ago. No sounding at all. They're all sounding right down here after the judgment of the dead began. And they sound one right after another. Following this, the seven angels are given the seven trumpets. Then the seven trumpets sound. Now these little statements have been hiding away from us. And all of them are significant and have to be put together and considered. They all teach us something. That's why God puts it here a little and there a little, to make people search and study. Yes, Jim. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Does the seven angel, does the trumpet sound after the half, do and a half now, after the half? No, before. Before? Yeah, at the end well, of the judgment. Well, given to it, given it until the judicial, why were they given them? It, They'll be sounding it after. What do you mean sounding it after? Well, you said that oh, yes, they sound right on then, from right on, from then right on. But they don't sound before that. It's at the end of the judgment of the dead, not at the end of the half-hour silence that they begin to sound. They begin to sound at the end of the judgment of the dead. Then they keep on sounding. That's what this says. Let me reread it now. Following this, that is, following the end of this uh, the, uh, judicial session, the first judicial proceedings, following this, the seven angels are given the seven trumpets. But now as we read other statements, it sounds as though they began to sound back here and began to sound back there. That's not so at all. Just as the seals weren't opened way back there, way back here, way back there. When were the seals opened? 1844. That's right. But they deal with events that go backwards as well as events in the future. But that's the focal point. You have to look backward and forward from the judgment. Same way with the trumpets. And the trumpets deal with events. The trumpets deal with messages that have been rejected. This message was rejected. It tells us in symbols exactly what it was so that we know we have the truth about it. We can't change it. It tells us in symbols what this message was and this and this right on down. So we know now uh, symbolically what all these messages were and uh, what the consequences of rejecting them were. That's what these tell us. Following this, the seven angels are, are given the seven trumpets. Then, that means afterward, it doesn't say instantly afterward, and it doesn't say a week afterward. It says then. So I would assume that after, the trump, after they're given the uh, trumpets, that shortly they're going to sound. But there's one thing you have to take into consideration that the Bible says when, they, when they're given the trumpets, what do they do? Well, look at chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 2, I guess it is. Chapter 8. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. 
Now, this may be so, Eugene. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. It may be that it was after the half-hour silence began that they were given the seven trumpets. Now, let's read the first verse of the ninth chapter. And the fifth angel sounded. All right, now come on down to the sixth. And the sixth angel sounded. And now come on down to the seventh. And the seventh angel sounded. Now, and this is what the Bible says, that they sounded. So what you said is right, that they sounded. Ultimately, they did sound. But the spirit of prophecy says something else. The rod says something else. What did they do? If I can find the reference quickly enough. It says they prepared to sound. Remember that statement? Now they prepared to sound. So how soon after they were given the trumpets, they sounded, we don't know. We do know this, that there were some events um, recorded in the 8th chapter about the judgment that had to be fulfilled before the trumpets sounded. We know that, for the 8th chapter tells us that. He introduces the trumpets, then leaves them. They were introduced parenthetically, then left there, and then brought back in the ninth chapter. So all that comes in the 8th chapter is uh, parenthetical there. Between the, or the really the, uh, the mention of the trumpets is parenthetical. Then the seven trumpets sounded, look, look, one following the other. So after the, after the angels received the trumpets and prepared to sound them, then the first angel sound, first trumpet angel sounded, then followed the second, then the third, then the fourth, then the fifth, then the sixth, then the seventh. How soon one followed on the other, we're not told. And whether the sounding continues right on through the loud cry, we don't know. Or whether the, whether the information in the seven trumpets or the sounding of the seven trumpets all took place at one time, one right after another, we don't know. We're left to, or to uh, think upon this and, and wonder about it and pray about it. This is as much as it tells us. But this is definitely something. It corrects our misconception about the trumpet sounding back there and there, right on down the line. Uh, as uh, we have a corrective view about the seals. The seal wasn't opened back in the beginning. It wasn't opened along the way, the second and the third and the fourth. The seals were all opened at one time, or after 1844 when the judgment set. And the Lion of the tribe of Judah took the book that no one else could open, and he opened the seals. Opened first one, then two, then three, then four, five, six, seven. Same way now with the trumpets. Well, they'll be looking back then when it's over. That's the idea. They're looking back. Now, what this does to our understanding of the subject, I, I don't know, that is, what it, what it does for us in this predicament of trying to reconcile these two lines of interpretation. You see, well, if... Why did Brother Hardest say we were in the fifth trumpet? Because we are. It hasn't ended. We're in the fifth trumpet, definitely. Because the action of the fifth trumpet continues right on. But I say, what this does to help us reconcile these two uh, different uh, lines of uh, interpretation is not clear. Uh, because the trumpet did not sound at that moment, historically, in time, 
may not change it at all. That is, the fact that the trumpet itself did not sound until uh, after uh, the first judicial proceedings were consummated may not change our understanding of it. We haven't got into it far enough to know. The fact remains, though, that this did take place, that is, the sounding of it took place under the sixth trumpet during the time of the judgment of the living. Now, there's another statement that uh, is important here. Uh, the revelation of all this, the opening up of the trumpets came to us under the, sixth, under the fifth, fifth trumpet. trumpet. But in what way that it'll be different when it begins to sound after the judicial scene? What is the difference? What well, that's what I mean? say. I don't know. Because now it's all I don't like know for sure. To us, I, I... <laughs> <laughs> what you don't know, you don't know. That's all. Well, since all all of these events. Everything that happened is in the message. This message contains everything. That's right. You reject the old. I mean, if you reject the new, you reject the old. Everything applies to the judgment of the living, wouldn't it? That's right, Dean. Okay, so wouldn't it make sense then that it would have to really sound? That's right. During the time of last night. Yes. Because it applies to the living. It has to be at that time, but we're getting the information on it now. Right. Just as we're getting the information on the three angels' messages, and we're getting the information on every other line of prophecy, but so far as the actual events are concerned, especially those that pertain to the future, of course they they're, they're not present truth yet. It's only present truth in um, in uh, the understanding of it, in the uh, in the uh, opening up of it. Then it's present truth. But so far as the event itself is not. Now take for instance here. It's present truth so far as our understanding of it is concerned. But it's not present truth so far as the execution of it is concerned. Same way with Ezekiel 9, judgment of the living, purification of the church. All these events, practically, the sealing of the 144,000. All these events are, 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 so far as the event itself is concerned, uh, are not implemented yet. So we have it only in theory now. We have it in truth, in earnest. But so far as the things that happened in the past, that's the problem. We have that already. We have that already. That's what I say. This is the problem. And uh, I thought for a moment this, this statement over here might help us, but I see that it really doesn't. Not this one I read about the ninth chapter containing events that were different from the events of the, of the tenth and eleventh chapter. The, the chapters 10 and 11 of the Revelation cover a series of events different from those of chapter 9. Well, you can see it's different from these of chapter 9. Uh, these of chapter 9 look to the future. Uh, all of them look to the future. What the uh, two, two million horsemen and horses are going to do. Uh, they're going to destroy a third part of men and so on. Whereas the events of the uh, the other events of the Sixth trumpet are looking back. You see, it takes in the being bound and the loosing, and then the angel standing on the on the sea and on the earth. And that angel is very important since he has the little book that was opened, the book of Daniel, the only book that had to be opened. So I don't know how how it's going to affect this whole thing. But I want to read some other things now. 
This is Timely Greetings, Volume 2, Number 15, and I'm going to read from page 9. And this is paragraph 1. Seven times seven, forty-nine, determined the year of Jubilee, the liberation of the people and of the land, the type of the kingdom complete. So, when we get to Jubilee, when the kingdom is complete, it'll be symbolized as Jubilee was symbolized in the type by seven times seven, 49. How, how long would that be? In days or months or years? It was in years. All right, so now we keep this in mind. Now the point. Besides any other significance, you see, he's allowing for other significance. Besides any other significance, the 42 months being only six sevens, it signifies that the holy city, Jerusalem, will not be trodden down all the way up to the time of the antitypical jubilee. Is clear? Six times seven is 42. Seven times seven, 49 represents the complete kingdom at jubilee. That's at the end. So this tells us that the treading down cannot be clear up to that point. It's one seven short. Okay. The antitypical jubilee dash. The Gentiles are to be driven out of it, out of the city, before the mystery of God is finished, before the seventh angel begins to sound. So this takes place in the uh, sixth seal. I mean, with sixth trumpet. Okay. Now the the events of the of the fifth trumpet are going on. Don't let them confuse us now. But this takes place in the time of the sixth trumpet. Now, what does question and answer track number three say about the movement led by Joshua on the last page of the subject? Remember? It speaks of the movement as it started out under, under Moses and uh, then as it finishes up under Joshua. I didn't bring my question and answer with me. Anyway, it says that it is to lead the uh, purified church to the promised land at the time when the uh, Gentiles, or the times of the Gentiles, are fulfilled. When the church goes in and the Gentiles come out, that's the end of the time of the Gentiles. All right, now let's look at this a little further. The 42 months. The 42 months being only six sevens, it signifies that the holy city, Jerusalem, will be trodden down of the Gentiles, not trodden down all the way up to the time of the antitypical jubilee. So it will be trodden down now short of that period. Now there's one event in between, that is one section of time in between. What is it? Here's a jubilee. Here's the end of the judgment of the dead. What do you got? You got the, the judgment of the living or the loud cry period, the kingdom period. So it's not going to be trodden down all through the kingdom period or through the time of the judgment of the living. It's going to be trodden down only up to when? The close of the judgment of the dead and the end of the the um, sixth seal and the end of the, well, we won't say the end of the fifth uh, trumpet, but after the sixth trumpet sound, evidently. Now there's there's um, another statement I want to read to you, and that's from the track, track five, and this is page 111. This 
deals with the parallel periods of, of 1260 days as formulated in months and days and times and half times and so on. Times and time and time and a half time. It says, and they, now this is quoting Luke 21, 24, and they shall fall by the sword, by the edge of the sword. Now who are the they? It says, and they, bracket, the church, shall be led away, that is the church, shall be led away from, you've got the promised land in brackets, captive into all nations and Jerusalem. Now, what is Jerusalem? Is it the church or is it the promised land? This is important. Hmm? It's a promised land. Got to be the promised land. For it puts it in brackets. It says they were led away from where? The promised land. Where were they actually led away from? From Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So now what is going to be trodden down? The church or Jerusalem? Jerusalem. This interpretation says the church. This interpretation says Jerusalem. This is why I think there's two different ones. I'll read this to you further. It shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. The time that the Gentiles go out of Jerusalem and the Israelites go in. Now that's plain enough for anybody. You see what this is dealing with? As a matter of fact, you don't have to go to the codes to see that there is a symbolical and a literal interpretation twined together here, just as there is on Haggai and Zechariah's temple in the Bible. The two are together, and only inspiration can separate them. Now, this is definitely what this says over here, so far as the literal aspect of it is concerned. Now, I'll read further. The occupation of the promised land continue right on by the Gentiles today was typified by yesterday's Gentile occupation of it. And when ancient Israel returned from Egypt to the land of promise, the times of the Gentiles in those days were fulfilled. Likewise now, when antitypical Israel, the 144,000 guileless servants of God, are sealed and taken to Mount Zion, it leaves no question about it that it's literal, you see. There to stand with the Lamb, the times of the Gentiles in these days will be fulfilled. Now I want to read from page 11, 111 again, but paragraph 1. The Gentiles here mentioned are those who tread under the holy city, the church. Now you heard what I read below. It says, and they, the church, this is the people, shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away, bracket, from the promised land, Jerusalem, Mount Zion. And now what do you have here? He calls the holy city once because of the church and one paragraph, the next paragraph he calls the Jerusalem. Well, the holy city you find in Revelation 11, verse 2. And he calls it the church. And then in the next statement, he speaks of the land. Now let me read this. This is from the card file. 1953, February. It is possible that the 42 months of Revelation 11.2 occupy an entirely different period of time from the 1260 days mentioned in Revelation 13. 
For Jerusalem did not begin to be trodden underfoot in 538 A.D. Now think of this. This clinches it here, and it's got two other points, so it puts three claws on the clincher here. You see this? Jerusalem did not begin to be trodden underfoot in 538 A.D., but the 1260 years, or the 42 months, literally reckoned, begin in 538 A.D. So then that would be 500 years too late. So when did Jerusalem begin to be trodden underfoot? AD 70. That's right. Way back there. So now this this is a, a nail driven in a short place here. Right, a little further. For Jerusalem did not begin to be trodden underfoot in 538 AD, but was completely taken and destroyed in 70 AD. The holy city is still underfoot. Now what does he make of the holy city here? Jerusalem. So this is why I say you can see plainly that the man was, was working on two lines of interpretation. Now, why he didn't ever explain more, only God knows that. I think it was put us to work, make a study to, to find out the truth. So there, there's a lot of study that needs to be done about it and praying. All right, now further. Not any part of the city will be underfoot after then after the 42 months. For that ends the times of the Gentiles. But if they ended in 1798, then what about it? The city should no longer have been trodden underfoot. But for 200 years, it continued to be trodden underfoot. So you can see that the interpretation that is given here, the, the, uh, the 1260 year interpretation, reckoning of time, the same in, in great controversy. The two are the same. It's not the primary prophetic fulfillment of that scripture. The primary prophetic fulfillment of it has to be literal, just as this says here. This is the most important statement of all. And this is why he finally came to what we've been reading about in, in Code, Volume 12, Number 2. Not any part of the city will be underfoot after then, after the 42 months, at which time the kingdom, the church purified, is set up there. Now that's what we read in Tract 5 just a few moments ago. Kingdom be set up. But if the 42 months ended in 1798, what's happened? God hasn't been able to set up the kingdom for 200 years. See that? It can't be so. If the kingdom is set up with it, when the Gentiles go out, God's people go in. The, the Gentiles have had their time. Their time's over. Now God's people have been given their time again. Really, it's not the people of old, but it's the remnant now of the line of Israel being given their turn. And they're going to set up the kingdom. And they're going to gather in all the second fruits. So it's a different time, a different event. The truth concerning the 42 months during which time the holy city is trodden underfoot by the Gentiles, is therefore not completely revealed. See, he, he means that the message has not completely revealed it. So that's where we, we ought to be disciplined to leave it, not be troubled about it, and see what he says. And we had better leave the subject alone until God makes it known. Now, all we can do is pick up these little pieces and put them together as much as we can. It says the holy city 
is the church and the holy city is the the place. Well, I'll buy the fact that the holy city is the place. Symbolically, yes, it's the church away from Palestine. The, the church is the holy city. But that's the secondary application of it. Always the primary application is where it was in the beginning geographically. That's it. And that's where God wants to put it back again in the restitution of all things. That's what this is dealing with, you see. And also the one that I read to you from, well, from 2TG15, about seven times, six is 42, that's one short of Jubilee, seven times seven. And then the other statements. I think there were two or three other statements I had marked, but I don't recall them right now. Let's take some questions. This is a deep subject. If you have any questions, be sure to ask them. Well, Maybe you won't get any answer. To the, um, the holy city as being the church, it was in the application of the uh, the 538 AD period to 1798. That's right. And so that right. meant that the Gentiles, even right. the church, was in captivity at that time. So does he, he, I guess he had prophetic license to use it that way too. Well, that's what it was at that time. So far as, as the church was concerned, if it was in captivity, but so far as the city was concerned over there, it, it wasn't that at all. The city was occupied by Gentiles before then and after then. 200 years, no, how many, 500 years almost before then and 200 years after then. So you can see there is a very vast discrepancy here between the two reckonings of time. And the logic, the logic is, is, uh, is just tight. You, you can't change the logic of it so far as uh, when the treading underfoot began. It wasn't in 538 AD, all know that. And it didn't end in 1798 A.D., all know that. So that's settled. He could have been much more emphatic about that statement than he made there. The logic of it made it emphatic, but the language of it didn't. Or right, you have a, have a question? Yes, Derek. Well, maybe I'm not understanding. Are you saying that the parallel application of Jerusalem being the church uh, was treaded underfoot, though, from 538 A.D. to 1798. In this, in this dualistic application, this, the city, literally, Jerusalem, was trodden underfoot from 70 A.D. right on down to the present time, right? Mm -hmm. All right. Now, the, under the literal application, or I mean the symbolical application, the spiritual application of it as the church, the church was trodden underfoot from 538 A.D. until 19, uh, to 1798, when then the church was, these were released. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Well, this, this thing you find all through the Bible, the, a, a double application. Sometimes uh, one is not as clear as the other, but you have it all the way through the Bible. The only trouble here is about this sixth trumpet and the events that take place before then. Now, in this literal application, how we're going to put this and the one right here that's not shown, Revelation 10, how we're going to put them in the future, I don't know. But I incline to believe we're going to see uh, an application of the two finally. Uh, it may even be that, and my wife and I were discussing this today, 
This has been on my mind since last night because it was almost a disaster last night. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't get it together at all. Sorry, afterwards I got into it, you know. But uh, it begins to take on a little continuity, a little logic now. But it may turn out to be this way, that these four angels that sound at a certain time, that is, that at a, an hour, at a day, at a month, and at a year, will the, the event that they project is going to be uh, fulfilled, and you know it's going to be so, that the year of his redeemed is yet to come, the um, day of vengeance is yet to come. Well, I say the year of his redeemed. I mean the fulfillment of the year of redeemed. It began, but it never ended. It began in 1930 or 1929 to 30, but it hasn't ended. So it's got to end. So that's really the fulfillment of it. And the day of vengeance, it's not yet come. We just have the information about it. All right. The month. What came at the month? The rain. Now, the, the yeah. trumpet study shows us that the rain's interrupted. Now, we don't know all about this. This got Sister Hodaf into a lot of trouble. But the, the, the rain was interrupted. So the, the, the latter rain's over now, you know. We don't have any more latter rain coming. Well, the latter rain we have came up to 1955. Really, a little before 55. The last came in the Jezreel letters. You all clear on this? That's when the latter rain ended. So far as this actual coming is concerned. So it's got to come again. For whom? Not for us, but for whom? All right. So what we have, the, this much of the latter rain, is going to be uh, going to be carried to Babylon. And now just when, when it's carried to Babylon, just how it's going to be and how much more they're going to be and what they're going to be, I don't know. Nobody knows. All right, then what else is it? The day? Oh, the hour. What is yet to take place? the judgment, you see. So this is why I favor the view that while all of this applied just as the message got it, has it, uh, uh, opening up uh, all that it stands for, giving us all this light, yet that's just the projection of it. But the actual fulfillment of it got to take place at an hour, judgment hour, at a day, same time, um, month, in a year. As a matter of fact, all take place at the same time. And then uh, uh, that will fulfill too the one about Revelation 10, about the uh, the rain. He, he is the one that controls the rain. But about the book, I don't know. I wouldn't venture an opinion about how the book is, is going to be duplicated. I wouldn't guess that. Oh, unless it would be. I was thinking on, on this yesterday. When you go to Revelation 5, you got the book. And the book is sealed. And we understand that the book is the book of Revelation. It's the, the book of, of life. Lamb's book of life. He opens it up. But there's something great controversy gives us the idea it's the book of Revelation. So in the judgment of the dead, the Lamb will evidently be the only one that can take care of that book. It applied to the judgment of the dead probably and again to the judgment of the living. But this we, we don't have any light on, so we must let that alone. Yes, sir. Well, I'd like to ask a question on Revelation 10. Some time ago, I had been studying, and I searched Sister White's writings from the index, and I couldn't find any any uh, thing in her writings that would substantiate the Adventist position on Revelation 10 as far as applying it to William Miller. And, of course, my search may not have been thorough since I was limited to the index. But I'm wondering if that could, if that could just be a common understanding 
because it is not a truth that originated with the rod. Well, Derek, you read the chapter in Great Controversy about um, the persecutions, the Waldenses, the Abigenses, the Huguenots, the Bartholomew Massacre, uh, the Reign of Terror. You read all of that, and uh, I should have brought the Great Controversy with me, for she says it was a fulfillment of Revelation 9, I mean Revelation 11, about the two witnesses. A fulfillment. It doesn't say it was the fulfillment. It says a fulfillment. Just as with Lynch's prophecy. Lynch's prophecy turned out providentially or, or coincidentally to teach a lesson and, and to fall right on the right time. But it wasn't, as the rod shows, the prophetic uh, uh, revelation of it. Now, if you read these chapter, this chapter that I'm telling you about, you'll see that, that Sister White has used history uh, to show that the prophecy of Revelation 11, 4, and 5 was fulfilled at that time. Back here, you know, during the persecution. But she doesn't bring prophetic interpretation of it. No prophetic interpretation at all. It's simply her use of history, as in the case of, of Josiah Lynch. Lynch. Oh, that's all right. Lynch. Lynch. That's all right. Uh, that that uh, it teaches a lesson. But you'll see that that is not, and she doesn't say it is either, the prophetic interpretation of it. She doesn't, she doesn't even make an uh, effort to interpret it. Doesn't, not one word of interpretation. Oh, I'll take that back. She does say about the two olive trees and the, uh, and the two witnesses. That's about all. Nothing more. So you may be right about that. How, 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 how we handle the book, I don't know. And the disappointment. I don't know. But we don't have to know. All, all we have to do is be in patience wait. And God will open it up in due time. The thing is that, and I, I should have read that statement, that since we have the knowledge that the trumpets have unfolded this far, that is very, very close. This is what it said in one statement, and I forgot to put it down. Very close. And as we read for prayer, the great concern now is to be able to get the message to the church and to Syria. And to do that, we're going to have to know what we're, we're talking about. As I read last night, remember the statement I read in the conclusion last night? Maybe I'll close with it now. This is from Code 12, number 2, page 22. For our closing thought, we should remind ourselves that the 144,000 were without guile in their mouths. And the Bible says that he that overcomes his tongue is a perfect man. Are we ever guilty of uttering statements before, checking them for accuracy, for justice, for necessity of telling, for edification? Let us learn to speak the right thing at the right time and in the right place. Having learned that, we will become heroes. For it is a fact that for at least some people, we may add a lot of people, to gain the victory on this point, they will have to make what will seem to be the supreme sacrifice. Let us not speak evil of other people. 
let us not speak discouraging, disheartening things. Always remember that persons who speak this, speak thus, invariably betray their own low spiritual condition. Any questions? Jean, you have any questions? I have a question on the fortitude. It said that Jerusalem shall be trodden of the Gentiles. There are no Gentiles in there now. Does that mean that the Jews have to go out and the Gentiles go in? Well, some contend that the unconverted Jews are Gentiles, but that cannot be so. A Jew is a Jew whether he's converted or not. You just think on that. It has nothing to do. It has nothing to do with the conversion. Yes. Is it sitting right now this time? Yeah. Right. So there are Arabs living there. There's others there. There are Arabs yeah, there. Uh, he explained what treading means. Yeah. Treading doesn't mean just walking on it. No, that's right. It doesn't. The message teaches that treading means those who are in charge of Jerusalem. Those who are. Yeah. Those those who have Jerusalem under control. control. Their control and who are not working to build it up in God's way. And that's the Jews right now. Uh, uh, there's uh, there's Arabs uh, there too. Uh, there are the Palestinians there. And there's some others. There are Gentiles there too. They're still in conflict. Yeah, they're in conflict. Would the time come when the United States would have, have it under control? I think so. I think so. Because I think those air bases. I think those air bases they're building for them over there. They're going to occupy. Remember, the Holocaust first wrote those statements. England uh, mm -hmm. was in control. If United States isn't going to do it, how is Assyria going to get in there? As the uh, of the horns, how are they going to get there? See? They've got to go in, and the only way they can go in is to be invited in, unless it gets to such a a point of danger that they just go in. And I, I rather think they'll be invited in when the danger increases more, when the pressure on Israel gets more than it is now. That's what those air bases are going to be used for, I think. So they've got to get in there in order to be driven out. How can the four uh, carpenters drive out the four horns if the four horns aren't there? The four horns They're building those bases is significant. Right. It's not just something yeah. to overlook. But uh, will we, uh, they were discussing this and wondering if uh, we'll know when we get into the time of the 42 months. Well, I was reading a statement today, Sister Hara said, well, we are in the 42 months. But she didn't say when they, went, when they got in the 42 months. But before very long, she had to say when they were in the 42 months. Because from the time she made the statement that they were in the 42 months, 42 months had passed. So she had to say, well, the 42 months began at least at that time, because she said they were already in the 42 months. <laughs> now there's another question, is whether the 42 months of Revelation 11-2 are the same 42 months as uh, in Revelation 13 and in Revelation 11 Three, whether it's the same period of time. And then Daniel 12. There's a lot we don't know yet. Sister Adam had those two at Yeah, she had them. She same. put one before the slaughter and one out. That's right. That's what she did. It may turn out to be that way. She wasn't wrong about everything, you know. She was enough wrong that it, it brought her house down. But she wasn't wrong about everything. 
some of the things she wrote were, were true. How could it be? Huh? I thought you read something about Revelation 13 showing that it was the 42 months. That 42 months that we're speaking about about Revelation 11 could not be the same one as Revelation 13. But I didn't say it could be the same one. Which 42 months are you talking about? I, I said it may be different ones. I thought you said almost the same because you were saying something like that. No, I, I didn't mean that. I meant that they could be different ones. As she put them, it could be. I don't know. I don't pretend to to know, and I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying. I, I I would conclude that the 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 time the the same equivalent time of Revelation 13, when he's given uh, the mouth to speak great things, is afterwards. That's the way it looks from the context and the logic of it. It looks to be afterwards. I, by afterwards, I mean during the time of the loud cry. When Assyria is passed off, the scene in Babylon's command, because that beast represents Assyria. Will you know? Will anyone know whether if they're in the 42 months? Well, as we get down toward the end, of, I think we will. If you don't know, you wouldn't know when it started. I don't think so. For if we knew when it started, we'd be setting time. Yeah. But if we see those in the United States going there and they're invited to yeah, we. I mean, you would be tempted to think, but it still won't be right because... Yes, it could be a year or two or three before it would begin, but we don't know. Or it could begin then. Or it could be could years. It could even begun before that. But it could still be years that they'll go in there, but then they'll... Or, or do they have to be in there just for three and a half years? Could they be in there like five years controlling and the last part would be the... No, I suppose that could be too. This is it. We don't know all these things. We don't have answers to all these questions. We may find we may find some more things in the rod, just like these little statements that I've read to you today. I, I never saw them before. I've read over these things lots of times, but they're there, and I'm persuaded there's a lot more there that we don't know about. You know, finding these is a whole lot harder than putting them in the book. I sat with a man who put them in the books, and I know. You know, all we had to do is write the statements and put them in. If he if he got the idea then all we had to do was formulate the idea, put it in the book. That wasn't so difficult. But to find the statements and put them together, that's another thing. That's a lot harder. You take my word for it, or I know. Well, Matthew teaches that we should not let one word or one line escape our attention. This is like finding the proverbial needle in the haystack. See, it's all through the message now. All kinds of little statements here and there and everywhere, and in the most unlikely spots you'll find them. So that means you've just got to keep studying and searching, and you've got to have your eye uh, peeled uh, to see them. You've got to be thinking as you go along, not just reading casually. It won't help. That's what's happened. We read casually, we, they don't register. The 42 months of Revelation 13, well, that comes about after the deadly wound is healed, right? Yeah. So that he was given the mouth, speaking great things. So prophetic application could not be uh, when the spirit of prophecy makes it from five thirty-eight to seventeen ninety-eight. How could it be? You're saying that's that's the same forty-two months of Revelation eleven. I don't think so. Definitely, the forty-two months of Revelation eleven has to come in the time of Assyria. Whether the other does or not, I don't know. I would rather incline to think it comes afterwards. You read it and see how it sounds like. Revelation 13. And the 
And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Now, that naturally sounds as though it's the same as the little horn. And that's where it's been placed. Oh, I leave it there. But in context, it doesn't, doesn't fit there so well. It says, look, they worshiped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast who is able to make war with him? Now, this is progressive. As the beast becomes more and more uh, aw, aw, awesome, this is what the people are saying. Then, it says, and there was given unto him a mouth. Now, the mouths of the heads, the seven heads, they didn't speak. And the one head was the papacy. So this is not the papacy speaking. It's not the Seventh-day Adventist church speaking. It's not the other churches of the Revelation, the seven speaking. He was given a mouth speaking. And that's what the chart shows. He's got a big mouth. <laughs> But he got heads, and they're not the heads that are speaking. And it's not the heads that speak for 42 months, but it's the mouth that speaks for 42 months. And then it says, look, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. Sounds like the little horn. It may be the little horn again. We don't know. To blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given to him over kindreds and tongues and nations. Now this sounds as though it was during the dark ages. And this is where it's applied. Well, what, what application it has to the future, I don't know. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. But this didn't happen. So you see, while, while part of it definitely appears to run co-evil, that is parallel with the time of the little horn, the rest of it doesn't. Unless the little horn, horn reasserts his power, his supremacy. And if it does that, then, I don't know, the kingdom's on one hand and this is on the other hand, and that's the way it's possibly going to be, where you're going to have the two-horned beast and the false prophet working, and you're going to have the woman riding the beast, and the woman on the seven heads, and all this may portend development of this in the future. But we don't know. Then it says, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. Well, I am content to leave it uh, for the time being where we've always understood it to apply, in spite of the fact that I see that uh, the context uh, puts it in a, in a continuum, that is a continuation beyond 1798 or beyond 1798. You had another question? Dean, you were about to ask a question when Derek asked. I was reading something in volume one of the Shepherd Rod, and it said something about there will be some righteous. Some what? Some righteous ones from the days of Christ coming up in Daniel 12, too. I believe that. Hmm? And then before that, it says, going on back farther. There will be some righteous ones. Yeah. Uh, from the days of Christ. Mm hmm. Along with some wicked ones. <laughs> yes. I was reading uh, the denominations applied to the rod, and they make sort of a big deal out of Jude 14. 
And I'm wondering, it says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all. Now, we understand that to apply to 1844, but how do we explain he came to execute judgment? Well, that the rod devised that scripture. Part of it is doesn't apply at 1844. Can't apply that at that time. You see that. It's impossible contextually to, or logically to do it. It just uh, hasn't happened. Well, could it apply as that part? Come to judgment. Yeah. But so far as, as the other part, you can't apply it then. Well, what would that apply? We've got to apply it down to the time that it happens. It hasn't happened yet. Christ's second coming? Well, it, it, it would certainly have a, a more logical application there than before that, any time before then. But he still doesn't come with 10,000 of the saints, though. When then? It doesn't say 10,000. It says 10,000. You tell me how many ten thousands are. Thousands and thousands and thousands. That's just a that's a figurative number. Ten thousands. What would it be? Two ten thousands or three? Or a hundred ten thousands? Or a million ten thousands? It doesn't say. What it doesn't say, you can't conclude. You can only leave it as it is. Any number of ten thousands. There was one thought that I didn't bring. It was from track number fifteen. While you were thinking of a, your question, Carol, did you have a question? Anne, you have a question? Mr. Garrity, you have a question? Now, there's something here, just a moment, if I can find it. About the judgment of the living, and this is page 67 of Track 15, paragraph 1 and 2. All these things definitely indicate the time in which every man shall cast away his idols of silver, and his idols of gold, the very thing that causes the fall of the Assyrians, the power which rules Jerusalem at the time God delivers his people. So this doesn't apply as some of the other statements apply that show that the power was England. This could be England if England happens to be the one that will be in there at that time. But we know that it won't be England. It'll be the United States. So it's passed on now from England to the United States. Now the next paragraph. The truth, therefore, is trouble-free. Between the judgment of the dead and the judgment of the living stands the half-hour silence. That's plain. The time absorbed in bringing the first judicial session to a close and preparing for the second session. So how long is there between the two? The remaining verses of chapter 8, also chapters 9 to 11, give a description of the seven trumpets. That's all it says about them. But uh, it is about the half-hour silence there that I was concerned about. Then there's another statement back here about the judgments coming down to earth. This is page 65. The half-hour silence in heaven brings the voices down to earth. So this is a down-to-earth study now. And at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, the mystery of God is finished. Then it is that the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord. What does, all, what does it all mean? Just this. As we have seen, 
the silence divides the two premillennial judicial sessions, the one for the dead and the other for the living. And the fire from the heavenly altar, the voices, lightnings, and thunderings descend to earth. These facts, along with a number of scriptures on the subject, besides the remainder of the Revelation, the chapters after the breaking of the seventh seal, prove that the judgment of the living, the cleansing of the earthly temple, is something which takes place on earth, not in heaven only. Now see, this is a radically uh, revolutionary idea concerning the judgment of the living. The church doesn't see this at all. And we need to keep this in clear focus, steady, that the judgment of the living basically, until the formal ratification of the uh, judgment that's made, is down here. It begins down, began down here in 1929. Not in the books above, but it began in the church down here. And each individual was then to judge himself and send his sins, his record, ahead. And that book contains his whole life record. This is what we read in, uh, what is it? Track 14, right. Page 19, is it? Uh, that uh, the angel, the man with the writer's ink horn, that keeps a life record of each individual. Just think of that. It must be on something far uh, more microscopic than microfilm. See? Now, man can do that. Man can keep a tremendous record on microfilm. It's just astounding. It's, it's almost unbelievable. But since God has thousands upon thousands of records to keep, well, this, this man must have something. Uh, something beyond our imagination. God's got lots of things beyond our imagination. All right, so then it continues on in that form until the sealing takes place. Uh, now that finishes up this, this process of judging ourselves. All our sins are sent ahead to judgment. They're all lodged up there in the book of records, whether after them is written confessed or unconfessed. And if after them is written confessed, then what happens during the half-hour silence? The five men, six men, passes by. That's Passover. Passover. But if after our name is written unconfessed, then what happens during the half-hour silence? Cut down. See? Then that, that, Brother Hobbes says, this is what really seals the church, is when the wicked are taken out. And then we come forth on the other side, in the, uh, in the kingdom. And this takes place then over there. Now I'm reading from code number, uh, uh, volume 11, number 12, page 23. Speaking of the judgment time, we must remember is a cleansing time as well as a separating time. The judgment for the living takes place when God cleanses his people from all their filthiness and puts within them his spirit and hearts of flesh. This work is to be done for his people after God has returned them to their own land. I see this is very different from uh, the other aspects of the judgment. And you must keep it separate. So we have number one. This is a judging of self. Sending our sins ahead of the judgment. What's number two? What happens during the half-hour silence? What do you call that? That's the executive judgment. Number two. 
then this is number three. What do you call this? Well, that's right. This is when our names are either retained or removed from the Lamb's Book of Life. This is when the sanctuary is finally cleansed. The two former phases take place where? In the church, before Ezekiel 9. Well, in the church. Uh, the one before and the other during Ezekiel 9. The one is Ezekiel 9. This latter phase, this third one, takes place in Palestine. Yeah, there well, when you say Ezekiel 9, are you including the marking? Well, when, I take, when I'm speaking of the sealing part, the sending our sins ahead, that's the marking part. That takes place over a period of time. Consummates in this little period just before, after the half-hour silence, after the seventh seal is opened, before the half-hour silence begins. A little period. That's when the sealing is consummated for the 144,000. That's the end of the marking of the sealing. Then the execution begins. That's the executive phase. Then the third phase is this one, over in the kingdom. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of the Davidian Seventh-day Adventist Association. You can find us online at www.bashanhill.org and you can call us at 417-835-2162.